unfortunately yeah. there has been a flood in Nigeria in this month of October. As of the 4th of October 2022, around 2.8 million people in Nigeria were affected by this flooding. You know, I have a very tough question to ask you. Okay. At this point, we're coming the cost of living crisis. Because my concern is, is it going to be permanent? Hmm. Should we call it poverty? Oh! Is it a cost of living crisis? Hmm. Or is it poverty at this point? Hello, Bloomies. Welcome to the World Health Investigation Podcast. My name is Jocelyn. I'm Edna. We are young global health professionals and your hosts for the World Health Investigation Podcast. Mm-hmm. Also known as the WHI. We will be discussing all things global health, unpacking the most controversial health and social issues, as well as promoting new wave global health development and equity. What is the global health team today? The topic of today. Let's backtrack for a second, because you guys, Jocelyn, as she normally does, she just came to me with this statement. What was it? She said, oh, in an equitable world, mm-hmm. poverty shouldn't exist. Yes. It's just like, What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with the statement, but he's <laughs> like, I don't know, he just came with like, I what did you said, think? I, 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 I'm making a bold statement, and I'm challenging all people listening to this mm-hmm. lobbies, listeners, non-listeners you should be listening anyway um, <laughs> that in an, I'm saying in an equitable world, poverty shouldn't exist let us know if you disagree in the comments in the description, wherever you can but I personally think so I obviously agree <laughs> because like when you break it down it's like equity equity is everyone has everything that they need mm-hmm. that's adapted to their particular situation mm-hmm. if everyone has what they need Mm-hmm. Why would you be in poverty? Why would you be in poverty? Yeah, what is equity? Yeah, equity is it means equitable access, right? Which means that people that would normally be let's say at a lower level or at higher risk of something mm-hmm. are minimized with that risk, and yeah. the people that are at lower risk are simply let's be done waiting with them because they're, yeah. they're at lower risk. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I agree. Right. But then that led us down to actually look into poverty and what's going on in the world. So yeah, kick us off. So that leads me on to my case study, which is the cost of living crisis. Mm. Ah, the cost of, I've seen it over the news, how we have faced, we're facing it. I won't say we have faced it, we are feeling it across the globe, not just in the United Kingdom, Mm. in the United States, in Europe, in America, so in Africa, everywhere, Mm. everyone is facing some form of crisis. Now the issue is that in America, New York, New York, New York, more than half of them are considering taking extra jobs. More jobs? More jobs. No, 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 you guys, because these Americans, a lot of them are already working three jobs. They want more jobs. I am telling you, the country of rampant capitalism is deciding to take extra jobs. Even more. Yep, there are even more. That's crazy. As a result of this current crisis mm-hmm. as inflation remains high employees in the u.s are combating the soaring prices of essentials like groceries housing gas but looking for ways to increase your income and cut down their expenses you know i have a very tough question to ask you oh, okay. at this point we're calling the cost of living crisis but uh-huh. my concern is is it going to be permanent Hmm. Should we call it poverty? Oh! Is it a cost of living crisis? Hmm. Or is it poverty at this point? Mm-hmm. It's just extra poverty. Extra poverty. Because we're saying it's a cost of living crisis. That's under the assumption that it's temporary. Mm. But I'm not going to lie. I'm a bit concerned that this, this might affect people permanently. Yeah, yeah. No, I think... It happens all the time, especially in the US, for example, where I'm saying like a lot of people have like multiple jobs and I think it's because everyone is so much closer to that, to poverty than they realize. Yeah. Like you are one huge medical bill away from just being cast into poverty, mm-hmm. honestly. Just breaking even. You think you have dollars, 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 money, 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 money. In the US, hmm, just to make a mistake and fall sick, mm-hmm. you will be priced, mm-hmm. priced times 10. Anyways, that leads me up to my the documentary that I came across mm. that follows three working families in the UK, the United Kingdom, not just in the US, also in the UK, two parent families and one single mom 
and all the individuals in this documentary have decent jobs and some even in the median income in the UK but are all living in relative poverty currently mm -hmm. and have to make difficult decisions around how to spend their money. Yeah. So we have one family that earns about £2,000 a month that's after tax. But after the mortgage, bills, food, they're left with only £63 a month. Oh my god. £63 a month. If you live in the UK, you eat enough. You know, £63 a month is nothing. No. 63. For a family, she has three. This family is a family with three children. Yeah. And normally, the, and the father of this family has a 75-mile round trip to work every day, which costs him about £18 per day. And they have found rising fuel prices recently that have taken up a lot of their spare money. I saw another case where there's not a single mom who works part-time as a nurse. Mm -hmm. She can't work more than three days a week because she can't afford the cost of childcare. And besides being employed, she's dependent on food and banks and handouts from friends. Mm -hmm. So after her mortgage, she is left with only 80 pounds a week. For work, for sorry, for, for food and everything else for her, as well as her three children. So she's left with 80 pounds a week for her and her three children. A nurse. A nurse. An essential worker. Hey. That that leads me on to my point about how essential workers are playing this country. But anyways, hey. that's a different that's a different that's a topic for another day. Topic for another day. Topic for another day. But it's just to show that we are going through it, y'all. Mm, <laughs> everyone. Everyone is going through it. Um and these are all because of the economically developed countries, mm -hmm. the US, the UK. Um but yeah, and I think you have some statistics around that. Well, what is exactly what are we expecting this cost of living crisis to be permanent? Is this poverty, and what do we actually understand by poverty? Yes, that is an excellent question. Mm. What do we actually understand by poverty? And yeah, let's just begin by looking at where we are in terms of poverty, poverty in the world today. So UN, one of the, the Sustainable Development Goals, number one. First one, they talk about. Not, there's no order, but this is number one. What? They say is to end poverty in all its forms everywhere. Okay. And they obviously have different targets and indicators they use. So the target is by 2030. Ah, in seven years. In seven years, you're right. Because 2030 is almost over. In seven years, by 2030, eradicate extreme poverty for all people everywhere. Currently measured as people living on less than one dollar ninety a day. That's that's our target. That's what we're that's what we're going for, guys. And then what happened is progress so far well actually we are seeing a reversal in the progress that has been made in the past 25 years mm. and the un suspects this that uh, that is due to the impact of covid 19 mm. um and it's also made worse by the fact that there's the war between russia and ukraine mm. and we have the rising inflation that we should be talking about so all these factors have led to a reversal in the progress that we've made mm -hmm. so if we put that into numbers between 2015 and 2018 global poverty um the global poverty rate was falling from 10.1 percent in 2015 to 8.6 in 2018. Mm -hmm. now we're uh not post-pandemic but i mean you know the pandemic has happened it's kind of still going <laughs> <laughs> yeah the global poverty rate has actually increased from 8.3% in 2019 to 9.2% in 2020. And that's the first time it has increased since 1998. We're talking just about extreme poverty, by the way. That's the first time it's increasing since 1998. Since 1998. I wasn't even born by then. Huh? Uh, uh, we weren't born by we then. We weren't. No. <laughs> so all our life, no our existence, yeah. poverty has been going down. It's been going down. That was great. You didn't feel like it. But... <laughs> you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Um, and then maybe a question to our viewers and to you, Joseph. I don't know about you, but as I was reading all of these and the UN goals and the poverty line, I was like, who? How do they set this poverty line? Like, how did we get to one dollar ninety per day as being like the poverty line Could in our definition? Strong. 
of extreme poverty. Good question. That's yeah. that's me. That's the first thing I thought about. Yeah. It's like, how did you decide that one dollar ninety is the standard? Yeah. And it's a standard that people should aim for mm-hmm. in lower and middle income countries. That's the, that's the assumption. Yeah. In the UK. The average person makes around a hundred thousand. A wish, you wish. We wish a hundred pounds a day, like a hundred dollars roughly. Converting plus or minus, don't quote me. Um, but like the average person makes around a hundred dollars a day. You know, it's it's good in London because London just pretty well. But that's that's and yet, as I mentioned in the case study, there are families that make more than that and they still find themselves living having to choose between eating or having a having a heater on you know you have to choose between whether you want to stay warm or whether or not you need to eat Mm -hmm. or feed your children so do you consider that poverty or not yeah is that extreme poverty to you because we're in a different country with a different economy with a different with different uh uh, conversion rates as well Mm -hmm. so what what is the standard and who determines that yeah um, so as for who I'm imagining is people in the UN a long time ago, before 1998, I suppose, mm-hmm. and how they actually came to the, like, if you want to know, what they do is different countries have different poverty lines, like you say, because you need to adjust for the fact that cost of living is different in different countries. Yeah. So what they do is they take the 15 poorest countries in the world right now, mm-hmm. they look at all their poverty lines, and then they take the average of all those poverty lines, mm-hmm. and that's how they came to the $1.90 a day. Yes. Um, and you know, in general, I'm still like, okay, I understand this things we can critique about the poverty line and why it has been set there and mm-hmm. why that's a definition of extreme poverty. But I still think, you know, there is value in them in that I think they can help all of us understand, like, realistically what that means mm-hmm. to live on one dollar ninety a day. Because we all know, we yeah. understand. In this yeah. UK, one dollar ninety is maybe one trip by bus. Yeah. But that's not even enough to take a bus back. No, home. It's, not. It's, it's not. It's not. It's not. So I was thinking about that, that you know, by this $1.90 poverty line that we use, extreme po- when you think about extreme poverty, there's 10% of the world's population that lives in extreme poverty, mm. by that definition. Yeah. But then it's like, what's going on with the 90%? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like extreme poverty, everyone else is rich, everyone you know what I mean? Rich. That's not the case. No, That's not so. the case. Um, so our world is data and you know, they've been very popular. They've been very good around COVID and publishing the data and all these things mm-hmm. They actually estimate that 85% of the world population is living on less than $30 per day And that's like 6.5 billion people in the world mm-hmm. Yeah Majority of the world is considered to be like in moderate poverty mm-hmm. essentially poverty. Yeah Yeah What do you think that's- about that? think that that says it all mm. that answers my question mm. around this 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 what you i'm going to put an outcome right i'm going to call this one dollar 90 the outcome they're using to measure poverty extreme mm. poverty and to me this this outcome is needs to be updated mm-hmm. um because as you can tell the value of money has changed with inflation and whatnot. You can't be using $1.90 as a standard because currently, as you said, you have around a, a, a large number of people that are earning actually around $30 a day. Yeah. That's, that is, that is, I mean, that, that's devastating. I mean, I yeah. feel a bit, I don't know how I feel about that. I feel yes. Bit, I feel concerned. I am very concerned. And for me, it's, when I saw $30 a day, I, I did think at first, I was like, oh, I mean, that's like, quite high but then i sort of think of it in my own context where i'm like i'm a single person i don't have kids you know 30 dollars might be able to to sustain me Mm. but like we're saying with a nurse a mother of three a whole family someone who has to pay for gas every day yeah it's not gonna be enough and then there's gonna be the area that i've seen you know with some capitalists say that actually you know with more capitalism you need to create more jobs create more jobs who mm. have more money they can work more and produce more money right that's a solution right mm. capitalism is the answer yeah capitalism that's, that's what, that's what I, problems that's what i hear people say uh, how about capitalism is creating all of these oh. inequalities oh. <laughs> how about that <laughs> because i don't <clears throat> i don't like us acting as if 
capitalist. Like we have this idea of the American dream, and it has been sold to the people. American dream. Anyone can just start from wherever, and they can make money and be a billionaire. No, no. All these billionaires that we know right now, did they just get there by accident? Did they just get there by luck and ingenuity and like be? No. Wasn't that Donald Trump talking about? He was given a small loan of one million dollars from his father. A small loan. All these Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, they didn't start from nothing. No, they didn't just no. start from nothing. It's generational wealth. Mm. It is generational wealth. And it, I've seen, um, I'm guessing, because I'm highlighting missing voices in mm. global health, um, there are people that have said that capitalism is what drives the world. It drives innovation. It is what has led to this you know, it's reduced extreme poverty yeah. from 90% to 10%, right? Therefore, we shouldn't want more capitalism. But the argument against that is, if you look at it more carefully, like, yes, there may have been reduction from 90 to 10% in terms of extreme poverty around that $1.90 a day, which is, first mm-hmm. of all, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. problematic. On top of that, we've seen that there has been inequalities that has risen. Yeah. The gap between the rich and the poor has actually risen by more than 50% during the same time interval. Mm. Which goes to show that, yes, whilst there are less people in extreme poverty, it does not mean that these people are living a good quality of life. Yes. Essentially, it does not mean that these people are not poor. Yeah. And this leads me on to what the problem statement is. Is that there are different definitions of poverty. Poverty does not simply mean, okay, yes, there's extreme poverty, but why are we making it a standard or should we be proud of ourselves to say that, yes, there are less people in extreme poverty surviving on $1.90 a day? Is that something to be bragging about? Is that something to be boasting? No, because guess what? There are different types of poverty, and I'm going to go into what these are. Number one, there are people that are what we call uh, usually poor, right? No, sorry, occasionally poor, mm. sorry. Occasionally poor meaning people experiencing occasional poverty that are more likely to spend long stretches of time above the poverty line. However, if an expected event happens, such as the flood that mm-hmm. happened in Nigeria or the pandemic that we just faced yeah. or whatever it is, a flooding, whatever it is, this can leave these groups more vulnerable than they are before. Mm-hmm. So we can say that if you have, imagine that constant line, or let's say the standard is $1.90 a day, yeah. usually they would be below that. But something happens, they have like that, they usually, sorry, they usually would be above that. So if something happens, they would be below that. So they're occasionally poor. Yeah. And the people that what we call cyclically poor, like cyclical po- uh, poverty, mm-hmm. is when you have, let's say, um, a farmer, or usually, like for example, in Malawi, which is like a, which is 80% agrarian, which means that hungry seasons and poor harvest can leave families financially and nutritionally insecure. Mm-hmm. And these low seasons can last for months, and are even more complicated if a natural disaster strikes, yeah. such as Cyclone died that happened in 2019. Mm-hmm. And during peak periods, such as harvest, it's usually a guaranteed income, right? With these people, usually mm-hmm. they're, they're going through this, like, so it's like this peak that just like goes up and down and up and down. So imagine mm-hmm. the curve that goes up and down, up and down. So if there's like a harvest, yay, we have money. All of a sudden there's, there's some uh, dry season, we're hungry. Yeah. So that's when what's called cyclical poverty. And then there's like people that are usually poor. Usually poor means that usually they're below that $1.99. But then something happens such as, oh, a good... Uh, 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 there's a good rain after a dry spell, then they happen to have that one period of time during in September in some equatorial regions, then they'll have that spike of, okay, yeah, we have our moments of fame or whatever, moments of, of, of enjoyment, yeah. and then back into the trenches. Yeah. And then the people that are always poor. <laughs> back into the trenches. <laughs> Excuse me, like, the people that are always poor, mm-hmm. and then these people, they're usually like similar to people that are usually poor, yeah. these are people that are poor over long periods of time, such as people that have faced famine in Somalia. Uh, uh, so they're poor from similar to how like wealthy people are wealthy from generation to generation. Yeah. These people are passing poverty from generation to generation. Mm. 
So that leaves me the question of has the UN considered all these different factors and how are we measuring this poverty line? That's a great question. I think that's a great question. And honestly, in my view, it will probably be hard for an organization like the UN to factor all of that in. Mm-hmm. Given that, you know, United Nations, it's not just one nation, it's, it's all, all the nations. nations. Yeah. Um, but I do think they don't go far enough in terms of like really laying out that like, you know, why are we just targeting extreme poverty? Why are we not just thinking about poverty in general? Mm. Is the should the target be extreme poverty or should yeah. the target be how do we reduce inequality? Inequ- you know exactly. what I mean. That's the, that's what my statement is coming from. In an equitable world, mm-hmm. poverty shouldn't exist. Yeah. So which means when we talk about extreme poverty, mm-hmm. simply people should be able to and there is enough money in the world to achieve that by the Because some people are gonna say that, oh you know, well, why is there a family of 10 anyways? Why are you having... That's what I've heard. Why have so many kids? Why have so many kids if you can't afford them? Yeah. <laughs> they should just stop producing kids. We need to reduce the population in the world. That's the solution. Are you for What's the problem with that statement? The problem with that statement? Yeah. The poor people should just stop having children. Yeah. Uh-uh. Are you birth control itself? Mm. Are you birth control itself? Mm-hmm. Who are you to tell me how many children to have? Yeah, yeah. Essentially, uh, it's a very, it's a very complicated one because the really the big argument is that okay, no capitalism drives innovation. Capitalism is, I mean, it's true. Like we've seen, like globalization, which is something that. Um, capitalism has helped with like mm-hmm. for example the te- technology mm-hmm. we've seen like nowadays like the rise of the internet or social media we have like high tech you know we have things that are useful for us to you know to enable private enterprises to grow mm-hmm. which is whilst it's great it's it's failed to it's dismiss the fact that there are people that are left behind and the reason behind the term equity being that it needs to include everyone that means the people regardless of your social status like the thing with capitalism is that as much as you think that anybody can come out of nowhere and make millions or billions is unfortunately it's not the case you can make that much you can make you can maybe you can make people stop being poor Mm -hmm. yes but usually there are some social determinants that impact a person's ability to make that money. Yeah. However, the answer to, to, to ending poverty is not a one-size-fits-all. There's no one no. solution, right? No, 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 no. Um, and so now I just wanted to bring this back to our context of health. Because <laughs> this is what we do. As much as I'd want to be an economist mm. and understand all these things, yeah. uh, our domain is health. Yes. <laughs> Global. Global health. health. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but what happens is we're obviously in a global economic recession and what that does is it puts a lot of constraints on the government's budget. So they need to make cuts here and there in the budget because of just the economic situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, they, but they still need to find ways to fund healthcare. Like people still need access to health. Yeah. But where is that going to come from, right? Yes. And to just to just set us, give us in the mood, you know, I think we can all agree that health is a right. Mm-hmm. Everyone has the right to health. No yes. one should just be like denied health. Absolutely. Right? And I have this lovely quote from Tedros, Dr. Tedros. <laughs> Yes. Um the right to health for all people means that everyone should have access to the health services they need when and where they need them without suffering financial hardship. No one should get sick and die just because they are poor or because they cannot access the health services they need. I think that just summarizes everything we've been saying so far. Now the problem is, how am I going to, how am I going to ensure that everyone has that right? How am I going to ensure everyone has access to health? Equitable access access. to affordable Affordable. health, because it shouldn't make me bankrupt. Mm, It shouldn't. No, it shouldn't. Just sleep. Oh, you're What's your me? approach? <laughs> What's my approach? Yes, I've come to you. I said, please, I don't have money. How am I going to make sure people have health? I need to give them health. I think, number one, 
looking at what our resources are, right, and what our aims are. Prioritizing the people that are most at risk. Whilst we have very limited resources, as you said, yeah. the issue comes now when we have people with the whole capitalist mindset that wants profit-driven health, right? Mm. Which logically it might make sense, right? I get the argument that mm-hmm. we need money to run healthcare systems. Mm-hmm. Money cannot, without money, you cannot run a healthcare system. No. However, there's a major problem when we start putting a price for health. Like again, it goes back to my fundamental question: Who determines the value of life? Who determines the who determines that pricing? And I'm gonna go into that a bit. A bit so more. I I don't have all the answers, but I think we can start from targeting the profit-driven health and actually realigning our priorities. Yes, I'm glad you brought up profit-driven health. Because that's the key thing we're going to be discussing today. And so just for anyone who doesn't know, profit-driven health is basically, it's an argument that's brought up by people who have privatized healthcare. So this can range from people who who have private hospitals that are associated with the university, or it can even just be like a private center that provides dialysis for people with kidney problems. Yeah. So the key argument from people who are saying yes, we should just get give out healthcare like it's a, another commodity in the market, they say that inc- there's an increased role for entrepreneurs and the competition that's created when you privatize something like the delivery of healthcare. It will result in results, results <laughs> in a more efficient and effective healthcare system, mm-hmm. right? Um, so the main thing for them, at least when it comes to being moral, there's a moral argument still there, like we should go for the path that maximizes benefit for the maximum amount of people in the society. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and therefore a healthcare system that's run by profits will provide the greatest benefits at the least cost. Is that true? Is that true? And for me, it's, my question is, what is the def- their definition of efficiency? Mm-hmm. Is efficiency innovation? Is efficiency profit? Because there's no point of you creating a drug, you're doing all these clinical trials when people that need it the most cannot access it. That is not efficiency. Mm-hmm. Efficiency means amongst the people that have this disease, how many people have used it and it's been effective? right now if you're creating if you're investing all this money on this new drug and only the rich people can access it you might as well let the rest of us we should just die leave the planet for the rich essentially yeah 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 yeah. i feel okay i'm gonna i'm just gonna play devil's advocate here because i just mm-hmm. thought the arguments were very interesting mm-hmm. so when it comes to this thing of efficiency they actually think that in our current system like public systems doctors and physicians don't have any like incentive to be cost efficient mm. as in yes i want to do no harm i want the best for my patient so i think it's this let's order an x-ray test ah, actually maybe yeah. let's do a ct because i want to get to the bottom of it but it doesn't but it's like they don't actually take into consideration the cost of doing all these things and like how to like actually make diagnosis in the most efficient way yeah. um and they actually claim that on the side of people who provide health publicly um, they, you know, at the end of the day, they want to get the most sophisticated equipment and the highly trained personnel, but they don't actually take into account, like, do we need that sophisticated technology? Do we need to pay the physician that's coming in? He has a good reputation, but we need to pay him more just because. Just because. Just because. And they're like, no, I wouldn't do that because yeah. I want to minimize costs. Yes, yes. The, the the problem is a lot of the let's say we'll call them financial sponsors. Yeah, mm-hmm. the financial sponsors are going to prioritize healthcare businesses or enterprises that make the most money. It doesn't mean they'll be the most useful. It simply means they're making the most money. Now the issue with that in healthcare is that it's very difficult to put that price on health. Mm. It's very difficult to say that okay. Um, yeah, this is how much you're gonna pay. This is the high. We're gonna get this highly reputable person. Like with healthcare, it's a basic need. Like right now, let's say yeah, we're all facing this cost of living crisis. Yeah, I've heard people complaining that oh my 
Tesco meal deals that usually cost me three pounds. It's not costing me three pounds forty on a club card <laughs> price. <laughs> <laughs> and they all completely that. In, for those that understand, in the UK, you usually there's Tesco. And the Tesco which is like your supermarket. Yeah. And you know, if you have a club card, essentially a card that gives you discounts. Yeah. yeah. So they are complaining that it's expensive. Now imagine that, but with health, mm. where. You don't even get the option to choose. You can even, at least with the Tesco meal, you can decide to cook at home. You can decide yeah. to have like your regular, you can decide to even like meal prep or whatnot to reduce your cost. Now, with healthcare, like, you are ill. You are physically ill. You have no other option. And if healthcare is costing you more than 60% of your income, that is a problem in itself. And so now, answering your question about the issue around incentives and whatnot, I think we should revert to this reverse psychology where they say, like, basic basic pay, right? The, the, the GPs and the healthcare workers have their usual pay, right? Like, mm. However much needs to be paid based on the budget. Mm. And then people that prioritize the vulnerable groups, like having like equity in health, whatever we're talking about, people that prioritize people that are most at risk get some financial incentives. They get like, you know, this grant or whatnot. That way, that is a good incentive. Obviously, you make it some competition, mm-hmm. but we can start there, right? Yeah, yeah. Therefore, we can start there. And I think what you're alluding to, uh, I think what they're called, pay, pay for, pay for performance. There we go. Pay for performance schemes. Mm-hmm. Where essentially it's a model for like both in public or private. Where essentially you pay your employees and you give them a reward based on their performance. And in healthcare, this can just look like, you know, your you encourage, you reward your healthcare workers or certain facilities based on like some predefined targets that you set. Yeah. And you know, the targets don't have to be like quantitative. They don't have to be treat this many number of patients and make sure that you know this many number of patients have this amount of blood pressure. It doesn't have to be just like that. It can also be about the quality of the work that they deliver. Mm. I mean, yeah, the, the, yes, that's, that sounds great. But unfortunately, I think in, in reality, that, that runs the risk of creating actual workforce demotivation, mm. might create competition. So that's why I initially said that having that base pay where, okay, this is how much you Break the, the base pay band that okay, this is how much the healthcare workers are making, mm-hmm. and then the people that go the extra mile can get these incentives. That way, it can motivate more pharmaceutical companies. If you're if you're in there for the profit, then you can say, okay, I want to make profit. Therefore, I'm going to help more people. Yeah. We should live in a society where people are rewarded for helping. Mm-hmm. People are rewarded for thinking about the vulnerable. Have a sense of people are empathetic towards people that are not accessing what they are accessing. People that are empathetic are people that are not as privileged as they are. And it's not that difficult because we there is enough money in the world to ensure that everyone does that. It's just about how we allocate our resources and what we prioritize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to your, your Tesco club <laughs> your meal deal, uh, because the other thing I was reading about is they will say, yes, you know, health is a basic need, they agree, mm-hmm. our profit people, but they also say food is a basic need, mm-hmm. shelter is a basic need, mm-hmm. clothing is a basic need, you buy all of those, mm-hmm. you have many people in the market, mm-hmm. many private companies that sell you all these things mm-hmm. that are actually basic needs as well. Mm-hmm. So why can't I also sell health for profit? I mean, I mean, if you put it like that, that means you're putting um, health with your Tesco meal deal or whatever. You're putting yes. them at the same level, basically. Now, imagine the problem is not that healthcare. It's not that healthcare cannot be priced, right? Mm-hmm. Either way, you need money to run a healthcare system. Yeah. As I said before, mm-hmm. the problem now comes when it is overly priced. You cannot compare something like food to health because health is life. It yeah. is life. Yes, we need food. But imagine that, for example, with this Tesco meal deal, instead of £3.40, it was actually priced £10. Yeah. It was priced, it was, that was the price. Imagine it was even £20 for what you should be doing. That's the issue with healthcare. There's a big disparity that people cannot afford it. Even that if you were to go ahead and get that medication, you will be in debt. That's how bad it is. And that's where the issue comes. Mm-hmm. 100%. Uh, I, I'm actually there with Johnson. I completely <laughs> agree. Um, and I think the other argument, I think, in, in support to what you're saying as well with this profit driven health is that 
when you actually think about it, like yes, a patient is actually vulnerable. Mm. And a lot of times in the you know in the economics, they talk about asymmetry of information, and mm. that's basically all about the fact that if you think about yourself as a patient, even me, I'm not a medical doctor. Mm. If I have a health problem and I go to it, I'm relying on the doctor to actually have my best interests at heart. But the problem in a profit-driven sort of setting mm-hmm. is that the doctor is thinking about profits. They're yes. not thinking about my health at the end mm-hmm. of the day. For them, it's like, how much money am I going to spend here? Like, how exactly. much money can I get from this person? Mm-hmm. If they're a poor person, ah, if they're, is it worth it me treating them? Is it worth And you know what's, you know, what, you know what's weird? It's a lot of these people that are claiming yes, profit-driven health. It's not just your doctors. Mm, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> I went there. They don't trust the doctors. Why are you flying to another castle of the country to get the best healthcare? Mm-hmm. If you really believe in your healthcare system, mm-hmm. why are you flying abroad to get the best healthcare? Some people even in Switzerland would fly abroad because they can't afford the price of healthcare mm-hmm. in that country. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I don't. I don't want to target any particular country, but my point is, we should live in a place where. Somebody can trust someone enough in their interest. They, they can trust someone and they will put their patient's health care first. Mm-hmm. The patient, the vulnerable people first. That's the whole essence behind medicine, right? Mm-hmm. It's that the patient comes first. Now, when you want to start making profit, the patient is long, no longer first. It's the moolah that comes first. <laughs> it's the money that comes first. Yeah. That's what the problem is. We're not saying that you do not need that money. You can still... You can still make some profit, but that should not be your priority. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't be your number one target. Oh, I need to make money, I need to make money. This is healthcare. These are people's lives. Let's start thinking about it that way instead of just, okay, yeah, we need to make money and drive innovation. People are dying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that is the other thing with uh, profit driven health is that when you actually look at it in reality, um, I was reading a whole story like in the US, for example, where they do have a lot of profit driven health where Someone will come to a hospital, a private hospital, and they will literally be denied care. Mm. So they will ask them, like, oh, do you have insurance, or can you pay for this? And if the person says no, they'll be denied care. That's, and people have died from this. That's very sad. People have died from this. And that's why it, it becomes a problem. Uh, because maybe even you are a doctor and you want to help this person, but powers that be, higher ups, higher up. people, sometimes your management are not necessarily, like, medical professionals either. Yeah. They're people who are there to make money. They're more business-minded people. And so maybe they don't, like we're talking about, they don't look at the value of life in the same way that you, a doctor on the ground, does. Mm-hmm. Yes, so unfortunately, the, the, it, goes, it goes back to my point of, you know, what, what is the value of life? Um, even the richest people, they can pay all this money in healthcare and they still don't have health. They have all the health in the world, the wealth in the world, but they still do not have health. That shows how valuable health is. Now imagine not having that much money. If you have all that money and you still can't afford to live in a healthy way, imagine the people that do not have the money. So if you're if you're living in a place where everyone is just out there seeking for their own self self interest, you just sit, just thinking, okay, yes, I make that money, I can afford to get my care, I don't have to worry about you know A, B, C, and D. I grew up in a rich household. Yeah. I basically I have everything I need, all my basic needs and beyond, and my wants and my needs and whatnot. It's a very mm-hmm, it is selfish. Mm-hmm. It is selfish, and let's start thinking about other people, not just our friends and families but people that need it the most people from across the world that do not relate to us but we need they need our help mm-hmm. yeah what i found interesting when i was looking into this as well is um low and middle income countries um there was actually um, a recommendation i think from the international monetary fund this is just like an international financing organization mm-hmm. uh, and they were saying in response to this global recession and governments not having enough money to publicly fund healthcare, their recommendation was that low and middle income countries should actually invest more in private healthcare. 
that was their recommendation. They said this is what they uh, need. Yeah. And actually, in reality, when you look at it, uh, apparently a lot of low and middle income countries they actually do a mix mm. in terms of like public, uh, publicly funded healthcare yeah. and private. Mm-hmm. And I actually came across a study that looked at both. Like you just evaluate, like they compare and contrast to see yeah. like what's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they reviewed publicly available data about public and private sector healthcare performances mm-hmm. in low and middle income countries, as I said. And they were assessing based on World Health Organization and these six criteria, these six essential themes of health mm. systems, accessibility and responsiveness, quality, accountability, transparency, fairness and equity and efficiency, right? Mm. So that's what they were looking at. Um, and overall, what they found in the end, in lower middle income countries, the private sector healthcare systems tended to lack published data. So that they could actually evaluate all of this. Apparently, they're not sharing their data. <laughs> um, and these private sector healthcare systems also um, had greater risks of low quality care and served higher socioeconomic groups, like we're talking about. And then, on the other hand, we had the public sector uh, healthcare systems where they actually tended to be less responsive uh, to patients and they lacked availability of supplies. And when we're talking about being less responsive to patients, like they did a survey of all the patients to see what they think about like healthcare that's been provided to them. And they were talking about things like, you know, how polite the, the, the healthcare workers are, how clean is the facility and all these things. And so that's what they were finding. Um, and interestingly enough, in low and middle income countries, they're thinking that private sector uh, healthcare systems were actually less efficient. How are they? They had lower efficiency than the public sector. And this is what I found interesting is like they think it's because basically in the private sector they'll charge higher for for drug costs, for drugs. And then they'll actually be the ones that end up ordering unnecessary tests because obviously the patient is paying for all these tests. So me as a doctor, I'm like, yeah, do this one and that one and that one. Um, So in that way, they actually end up being less uh, efficient. That's a very ironic statistic, that's a very ironic um, statement because yeah, the whole point of of profit-driven health is to you know, drive efficiency, mm-hmm. right? Innovation. innovation. I mean, obviously no system is perfect. No. Like, I don't think we'll ever get to a point where we have a healthcare system that satisfies everybody mm-hmm. equally and whatnot, no. But I think for me, it goes back to my point around are the p- most vulnerable people accessing what they need? Because mm-hmm. the people, because yes, the, the rich, the people that are at low risk don't need healthcare as much. And for me, as long as the most, the people that need healthcare the most are accessing it, then we're on our way towards equity. We're on the right track. But if we're in a place where, okay, you know, you're prioritizing uh, a private healthcare and that's your sole form of healthcare, that's your, pri- that's your primary healthcare system, and you're all doing extra tests, you're mm. that some of these tests are not even necessary. No. They're running all these clinical trials, but not all of them are actually needed. And mm. that's where the trust, the mistrust comes in sometimes. But even in the richest countries like Switzerland, I've seen is that people do not trust their healthcare professionals because they are assuming that that they're gonna make profit off of them. But they're gonna assume that if your doctor recommends you recommend you get this drug, it's because it's gonna end up getting more profit off of you going to get that drug. Mm-hmm. Not because he he or she actually thinks that you need it. And that is a problem. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not even going to pretend on that one. They are like the dentists, for example. Mm-hmm. In Switzerland, a lot, like obviously the system there is that everyone has to get private health insurance mm-hmm. and they cover certain things, but they don't cover teeth. They don't cover any kind of dental work. Mm-hmm. And anytime I go to the dentist, I'm like, are you sure I need this? Exactly. Like, do we really need to operate on me right now? Do exactly. I really need to go all the way to this other facility to get all this radiology stuff for you to come and tell me the same answer anyway? Yep. You know what I mean? It's like when the health is at my cost, mm-hmm. it now means I'm like, ah, I'm like health, my money, my health, money. my money. Yeah, <laughs> that's what you're supposed to have two dental checkups a year, but I know many people don't do it because they can't afford it. No, and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So now think about it that way. It's not that we we it, it's not impossible to prioritize what's essential. 
over profit. I'm not saying that you shouldn't make profit in health. That's not what I'm saying. I think a balance, we're actually saying that a, a balance of both is good. Like with a system where you have some social care, you have some this, you have some that. A balance of both. But if your priority, your number one aim is to make profit off of people, vulnerable people, that's problematic. That's very problematic. So overall, do you think capitalism is bad for health? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's a little question. I'm just wondering, like, do you think capitalism is bad for health? Capitalism, do I think it is bad mm-hmm. for health? Mm-hmm. I think it poses serious health concerns. Yes. I think it it's poses, a risk. It's a risk. It's a risk factor to health. It's, it's a risk factor to health. Yes, make money, 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 money. But we're in the global world. It's not just about you. It's think about other people as well. Yeah. And that, that's my that's my whole essence. That's my whole statement. Yeah. It's that. Yes, we need the innovation. Mm. Yes, we need um, uh, the technology. We need the private enterprises to strive. But we need each other as well. We need to work in a collective manner. We need to incorporate uh, a different areas of expertise within health even the economists can come in the socialists can, the, the, so the social workers can come in socialist theories whatever we need to come together to reduce inequalities in healthcare okay. and does capitalism do that i said earlier that capitalism has actually increased uh, 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 the gap uh, in inequalities over the recent years so to answer your question Hmm, I think it speaks for itself. <laughs> <laughs> it speaks for itself. Um, is capitalism bad for health? Oh. <laughs> I think the answer is yes. Mm. At the same time, I don't want to just make it seem as if capitalism alone is the only thing in the world that can lead to bad health. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's not as if. In Soviet Russia, when it was still a communist country, it's not as if in places like China that, you know, simply because they're not completely capitalist, suddenly they're like better for health. Like in China, we see there's a lot of problems with like air pollution and stuff like that because of just a lot of the manufacturing and how industrialization there is is, is Mm -hmm. working. Mm -hmm. In Soviet Russia, a lot of the times the problem with people was like foods. They just didn't have enough money for foods. There's a lot of hunger. A lot of hunger. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. And and linking back to the issue, it goes back to climate climate crisis, right? Mm. It's like the innovation. If we're not thinking about other people, we're not thinking about the green world. Then what happens is our planet also is at risk and whatnot. And it's not to. I don't want to just make it like okay, capitalism is just bad and it's a reason for all the problems. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is even even in someone like the US, right? The country where with rampant capitalism, the 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 number one, the leading capitalist economy. Yeah. Even with them, they're starting to experience increased levels of poverty in the recent years. Mm. And even and it and it's I I look more into this is it's due to the fact that a lot of Americans take opioids to survive throughout the day. Oh. So survive life of life, the pressures of working for work for jobs. Oh, to be productive. To be productive. The pre- that pressure to be productive ends up being counterproductive because even the life expectancy for example, because mm. so, I've seen or oh, I've also heard capitalists say like no but capitalism has driven uh, um has 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 led to better life expectancy, right? Um, over the recent years, because we've seen that okay, yeah, back in the days that you in the around like what in the nineteen uh, early industrial revolution, it, around that time we could see that yes, life, life expectancy was about like what yeah. fifty years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now it's gone up. It's gone up to what's I don't know the value, but I know it's gone. It's gone up, and now it's reaching to it's reaching a point where it's starting to stagnate. It's not going down. And that's in the UK as well, like we have an older population, etc. 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 So it's to say that drive uh, encouraging people to be overly productive may not actually be the all-time solution. No, it's it's not. And um, 
what comes to mind is, for example, allegedly, <laughs> in some of the factories in Amazon, I'm sure like a lot of you have heard, for example, to maximize how much time and how much stuff they can get packaged in through the line, they actually minimize how much time someone can go like to take a bathroom break. Some people are reporting, you know, allegedly that they're standing in that line packaging stuff for like 10 hours straight to the day, no breaks. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, I'm not gonna lie, it's sounding like slavery. It's sounding, it's sounding like slavery. And this is this is an association we know about in, a, in factories where IT-shoes are being made, allegedly. Child labor, like um, this whole idea of again just being driven by profits, and then you know, I think you lose sight of like the value of like human life and working conditions for humans because you're now thinking, ah, this human's life is like slowing me down if they could just work faster, faster, faster. faster. You know, and, and the whole idea behind American dreams like if you work hard, you will be successful, right? And you, the whole essence behind capitalism is that finally there's a free market, free, I quote free, mm. a free market where anybody can buy what they want, sell what they want, work hard, work these number of days, and they will be able to be successful and they will no longer be poor. If you work hard, you will not be poor. Unfortunately, that's not the case. The hardest workers are the ones actually working for these factories. They're working hours. They're working extreme long extremely long hours throughout the week and yet they're not compensated as much as they deserve and yet we see billionaires that are making so much money off of this company at the expense of these people yeah i'm allegedly. sorry <laughs> allegedly so with that in mind we got very round up there what uh what can we do better what can we do what better? can we actually try to do better i think we alluded to this when it came to talking about inequalities mm-hmm. and actually tackling inequalities because in my view it's like if you have universal health coverage mm-hmm. if you have a universal basic income you know yeah. you're not gonna drive people into extreme poverty where as we saw in our case study they decided do i stay warm or do i eat mm-hmm. you know cover yeah. all the basic needs the basic needs what are your thoughts of how do we how do we end poverty how do we uh, easy question see me if i had the answer we're gonna be president uh, <laughs> i don't have the answer but i can i can find the i can i can share some ideas mm. that could help us get there mm-hmm. could drive us there we can start looking at what exactly is poverty right what drives poverty okay what poverty is like like if you lack assets Let's say assets could be food, um, uh, drinks, your your TV license, your whatever it is that you have. You lack assets, and two, you lack a return on those assets. Meaning that whatever it is that you own does not make you money. Either it's not enough, or it does not. You see no return on that. Mm. That's the essence of poverty. That like you, you simply do not have enough. Yeah. There's a scarcity. Yes. Now, what drives poverty is that there are two factors. Inequality, as you said, Emma, and risk. Inequality can can be understood as the difference of social determinants, such as gender, Mm. race, ethnicity, ability, Mm. health, social status, welfare, and age. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that could either affect someone's ability to access certain services afford certain things Mm -hmm. and number two is risk such as hazard vulnerability illness Mm -hmm. such as we see this in the pandemic Mm -hmm. that's risk so you put those two together there's a very high likelihood that this person will end up being poor Mm -hmm. (laughs) for example if i happen to be um uh, someone that is maybe let's say I'm disabled, I'm not fully able to run my daily activities, and I'm a woman living in Somalia and um, I'm facing famine, then mm, the chances of me being poor are gonna be very high. They're gonna be quite high. Now, in order for in order for um a community to find their way out of poverty, yeah. All groups, first of all, must be involved in their decision-making process. 
So we need to reduce those inequalities. And the best way to reduce those inequalities is to start by ensuring that within municipalities, like within local groups, mm. there are people that are representative of all these different inequality groups, mm. right? So for example, in a local authority, you have someone that is, um, I don't know, like black, or brown mm. but that actually fights for those interests as well mm. not just letting someone there just to tokenism tokenism you know mm. someone <laughs> that actually fights for those and seeks the interest of that particular population yeah. and then number the next step is now um assessing the risk risk is a combination of a group's level of vulnerability and the hazards they face so like, you know, hazard means, um, how can I describe it? Hazards could be the likelihood of you being at risk of something. Mm-hmm. Like, and like, basically it's likelihood of yeah. running a certain, of either surviving or dying or yeah. whatnot. Mm-hmm. So the more hazards they face, the harder it is to break the cycle of poverty. So what we need to do is reduce that risk, reduce these barriers. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? Being better prepared, number one, being better prepared for emergencies. Like as I was mentioning earlier around the floods in Nigeria, setting up systems, for example, that would have a reservoir for water in case a flood happens so your population does not end up losing all of its assets in case mm-hmm. of a flood. That's one example. Number two, just basically, trying to see what are the barriers that your population is facing and how do we address each of those barriers in the process yeah. i think that's a one it is, as i said there's no one size fit all solution no. because different countries have different populations and different demographics yeah. but i think that's a great way to start yeah yeah no 100 percent. and just even on that point like that's the whole idea of equity right and mm-hmm. what we have been saying when it came to the poverty line of like the way you tackle extreme poverty and the people who are like that below that one dollar ninety may not be the same way mm-hmm. you do for the people that require that are living you know in moderate poverty. Mm-hmm. But I think at the end of the day, if you're able to make life better and easier for the people in extreme poverty, it will end up benefiting everybody else. Yeah, automatically. automatically. If I have, if I make sure that I have a reservoir like you're talking about, mm-hmm. if everyone has access to clean water access to education all of these things mm-hmm. it's just going to benefit everyone mm-hmm. and that's the problem when we start to prioritize profit is that we forget to think about these things mm-hmm. the thing is when we prioritize profit our everyone is fighting for their own interests mm-hmm. right? they're trying to make money for their business if i'm running an energy company i want the energy bills to rise but i'm not thinking about the other people mm-hmm. whereas if we think more collectively and try to you know uh, uh, reduce those barriers, not just at an individual level, but on a population level as well, then we can start to see improved uh, 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 outcomes in terms of poverty. Mm-hmm. And and that does not mean prioritizing profit. I do not think that prioritizing making profit will help us get there. I think we need to realign our priorities such that even if we end up making profit, at least we know that they're not people that are living in these extreme conditions. Yeah, yeah. I agree, and I think what we said even at the beginning is like, there's no perfect system, and I think in an ideal world, we would have a mix of like both public and private, you Mm. know? Like, sure, like capitalism, I do think, you know, that idea of having competition, it does help at least drive costs down for Mm -hmm. people in general. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you know, like you were talking about energy, like, yeah, I could just charge people however much I want, but you still need that public government authority to come in and yeah. protect people at the protect end of the day. People. So I feel like, yeah, we always need like this balance of like the public and the private. Mm-hmm. And uh, and just from from just tackling this topic, it's made me really understand the importance of political will. Mm. If you have a leader that does not put the interest of the public first, the vulnerable suffer. I think we know that, but we've seen that. So when it comes to things like, especially with floods, the pandemic, imagine we're facing a pandemic and your number one priority is how much money is in your pocket. Of course, of course, there's going to be a crisis eventually. Yeah. If you were thinking the whole, if you, if your primary goal was to make profit for your business, you're not thinking about others, 
something like a pandemic hits and we're facing inflation and an economic recession, you cannot be surprised this has happened. You are not prepared for the interest for the population. You are looking at your own self-interest. And that is problematic. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. So what can we do in our daily lives? Ah. Eradicating <laughs> poverty. Eradicating UN SDG goals. Mm. Since UN was formed, I don't know. No, SDG goals came a bit later. Um, anyway, the point is, if the UN could have done it and solved it at a global level, it would have been done. It would have been done. It's clearly something that is difficult, but surely there's something on a day-to-day basis that we can all do to help people who maybe think um, this obviously may not be the best answer for everyone but my initial reaction from when I was just reading the news and reading what's currently happening was like okay, I need to help people mm-hmm. I need to donate I need to find like even with this Nigerian flood that happens mm-hmm. like just maybe find a, a, a charity or an organization that would help maybe build this reservoir obviously that runs the risk of being exploited but I would like to know that my resources are being used effectively. Um, but that makes me think, okay, um, this cost of living crisis is affecting everyone, but it's affecting other people even more than it's affecting me. And it's making me think I need to help other people. So I think what can we do better in our lives? I think one, like, you know, just, you know, actually seek out to organizations around in your local area, not just maybe abroad, even in your local area. Like we've seen uh, even in, in London, there's ink that there's the rise in homelessness. This cost of living crisis has led to more and more people being homeless. So, yes, I, <laughs> help where you can. Yeah. You know what I'm going to say? I, yeah. That's what I was almost impulsed to think from, even for me. It's like, I, I, this is alarming me that I need to help these people. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel like I need to help these people as well. Yeah. yeah. No, completely agree. You can always donate food to food banks. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us, like, just... Sometimes if you don't eat lunch out that week or something like that, you know, that little extra, even three pounds, if you just buy a sandwich, I don't know, for someone, it could help, you know, mm-hmm. it could help. I'm not saying you have to starve yourself, but, yeah. you know, if you make your meal at home that day instead of buying something else, and then you use that money, give it away, you buy food that you go give that to food bank, that, that could help, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, growing up as well, we always had this saying in my house, I don't know if it makes true everywhere, but charity begins at home mm. um, poverty you don't always have to be thinking about the starving people in Somalia yeah. or you know people yeah. all the way over there face in, in, in Yemen yes think about those people donate where you can but it could also be closer to home like mm. check on your friends there could be someone that's struggling because some people feel ashamed to say it's one minute yeah they feel ashamed like they will, you think yes we all went to the same schools and blah 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 we should mm. all have the same access of fun struggling to have food yeah. They could be struggling and they, you know you work with them or you go to school with them so you know check on people that are around you sometimes it's even in your own family mm-hmm. you know people in your own family are struggling that's why to me i'm a believer in, like before you start going out to try and change the world like at least try you know look within in your own home in your own family can you make change there first yes i think just that that's brilliant said um just echoing that we just need to live in a world where there's a bit more empathy. Uh, sometimes when we read this this news, it sounds like statistics to us. We have two million people, eight million people. It sounds so at all. It sounds like a statistic, but these are real people. These are real lives. And and even with this measure of poverty, this measure of extreme poverty, you're only measuring based on how much how much they earn a day, like one point nine zero dollars a day. It's nothing right it's basically nothing but there's so many other factors that come into play as well such as even your gender like access to education like some of these people are not even able to access education and the main driver for this is that women and many women and children in these places cannot afford to marry before their 18th birthday these are the things that have driven poverty and that's what i'm calling alerting um, institutions corporations ngos to factor that in as well instead of just saying okay yeah extreme poverty has reduced and we are in a much better place but let's look at poverty in a much more holistic perspective 
much more holistic perspective, meaning that includes things like education. Has she actually completed, has he or she actually completed their education? Are they able to afford quality healthcare? Are they able to eat? Are they able to afford heating? And it's not to say that people that that people that are rich are no longer going to receive money. It's not the problem that it's not the problem is not that rich people make money. The problem is that poor people, people that are non-affluent are really struggling and they're very vulnerable. Look, think of it that way because I know people that have said that why are you trying to stop people from being rich or whatnot? That's not the problem. We're not particularly concerned that you're making a X amount of money. Good for you. But just remember that there, whilst you're making all that money, there are people that are battling their life every single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, my last thing I think would be to policymakers. Not policymakers necessarily, but just people in the humanitarian world. I think it is really important. We do need humanitarian aid in times of crisis, war, like you know, crisis like um, what happened in Nigeria with the flooding. We just need urgent help. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think again, we shouldn't just think that giving people more money and the thing that they need is gonna eradicate poverty. Mm-hmm. It's not enough to get us there. And I think it's linked to what you're saying. We need to look more at like the basic needs of a person and making sure they're in an environment where they can meet those needs, whether that's, you know, targeting more like governments of different countries or, you know, you know, building more programs and projects that, you know, center around like sustainability yeah. um, and like ownership in the host countries mm-hmm. uh, that you deliver in your project. Absolutely. Thinking more long term. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. So those are our thoughts on poverty. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in conclusion, in an equitable world, poverty should not should exist. Should not exist. Poverty does not exist. <laughs> we said it. Come and find us. Yeah, we did. I don't know how you can convince me. Yes, if you have, if you think otherwise, comment below. Tell us why. Yes. If you are a capitalist or if you believe in a different movement, please tell us why. Educate, yeah. educate us. Yeah, yes. honestly, we we believe in this, but you know, your intention to also believe in other things. Other things. Thank you for mine. I want. I, I want to see. <laughs> I want a challenge. Yeah, <laughs> challenge. Um, so thank you so much for joining us this week again for the World Health Investigation Podcast. I'm Edna. I'm Jocelyn. We are Young Global Health Professionals and have been your host for this episode of the World Health Investigation Podcast. Please and thank you very much for listening. Do not forget, we have an event coming up. Please speak of the unspoken. Yes. You have listened to us today. We've had it at the meeting, but we're going to go even further controversial topics live okay you do not want to miss it if you're in london come through in person if you are abroad it's okay we're going to be streaming it back it's a free event for you to join us in the conversation and have your say so register asap on the 9th of november 2022 yes Get those Join tickets. us. Get your ticket. <laughs> we'll put all the links in the bio. And as always, remember to follow us on our socials mm-hmm. on Facebook, mm-hmm. LinkedIn, Look Up World Health Investigation Podcast, yes. on Twitter and on Instagram or at WHI underscore podcast. Follow us everywhere. That's how you get your feed. Any updates on what we're up to. Yes. And if you want funny, funny banter, banter, banter on TikTok. We're also on TikTok. So ah, we are on TikTok. <laughs> we recently joined. So yes. please support yes. and join the movement.